Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. Today in the studio, I'm talking with Mili Valverde. Mili has over 25 years of progressively responsible experience in hospital administration and operations, language access, and diversity and inclusion, including 16 years at the Ohio State University Health System. She was also named Language Access Champion in 2013 by the National Council on Interpreting and Healthcare. Congratulations on that award. Oh, thank you. It was really an honor to receive it. Great. And welcome to this podcast. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Millie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How long have you lived here in Ohio? Yeah, so I've lived in Ohio about 20 years, more or less. I have uh, three kids, uh, three boys. Mm-hmm. And two are in college, and one is in middle school right now. And uh, it's funny that uh, for many years, and even still so, I identify by I am the mother of (laughs) (laughs) in many of the social settings, because there's always a school activity or something going on in my life Mm -hmm. around the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But a bit more about myself. I uh, was born in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. My parents are from Peru. And I was raised in Madrid in Spain uh, for about 20 years. So, and I've lived in many different countries around the world and in also many states within the United States. So, So is Ohio where you've lived the longest? It is, actually. (laughs) You know, it made me pause for a second because uh, I've lived in so many different places. But Mm -hmm. it's been usually for three or four years at a time. Mm Um, and I thought Spain was the longest stretch, but I think now Columbus is kind of neck and neck with that. <laughs> so my new home. <laughs> um, so I guess you grew up speaking Spanish? I grew up speaking both, both um, because I was the first one born in the United States. So my environment was English speaking. But mm-hmm. yes, at home, it was the native tongue. Mm-hmm. Great. Millie, tell us about your role as Associate Director of Destination Medicine and Interpreter Services here at the Ohio State Medical Center. Yeah. So I, I'm currently the Associate Director of Destination Medicine. My role with Interpreter Services has changed. So okay. maybe I'll talk first about Destination Medicine. So we started the program about six years ago, and it is uh, our mission is to coordinate care for international and out-of-state patients. Mm-hmm. So patients who are traveling for farther distances to come have their health care needs taken care of here. And we, our team, make sure to coordinate everything from beginning to end with the outcome of having exceptional um, patient care, exceptional mm-hmm. outcomes. Mm-hmm. So we have patients coming to us pretty much from a lot of countries, mm-hmm. <laughs> most mm-hmm. countries around the world. And uh, as well as, you know, traveling from, you know, distances um, far uh, within the United States as well. Is there a particular um, treatment that is more sought after um, when coming here? Uh, Yes, I would say cancer is certainly the number one driver Mm -hmm. of our program and a lot of programs um, with international medicine. Uh, Of course, finding the cure, people Mm -hmm. will travel 
and will go to anywhere, mm-hmm. right, where they can find the cure. So we want to be compassionate, you know, when we uh, provide um, responses, you know, to the inquiries and making sure that we can provide options that may not be available local, mm-hmm. locally to them and then uh, help them through the process, you know, of coming here if that is the best choice for them. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the role of uh, interpreting services there. Yeah, so my role has sort of evolved uh, with interpreter services. I was the, um, as well, associate director of interpreter services for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Of uh, my 17 now, actually, 17 years this month, mm-hmm. I'm celebrating my anniversary at the medical center. And uh, the first 15 years, I oversaw the operations, um, um, pretty much grew an, an enormous mm-hmm. amount of volume, you know, with the diversification right. of our patient population and help support that mission, which is always wonderful work. Um, but um, after that, I transitioned more to destination medicine role. And my work with interpreter services is more on training. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually currently doing a training with Glenn Martinez, Dr. Martinez, um, and uh, training medical interpreters to prepare for certification. Mm -hmm. So I continue to do that work, as well as do some research on language access, Mm -hmm. um, dealing with um, developing more the profession of interpreters, the pipeline, as well as looking at it as health disparities and language access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you develop cultural competency training for medical interpreters, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me about the importance of not only knowing your patient's language, but also understanding their culture, traditions, and beliefs. And I assume this is part of that training, correct? That is correct. Uh, It's an important part of the training. Obviously, understanding the patient's language is primary, as well as uh, having the skill set uh, to know how to interpret, because it's not just knowing a language, it's really developing a skill set to know how to do it efficiently, effectively, and accurately. And there are different uh, strategies around that, as well as we have a code of ethics that we interpreters abide by, and it's important that um, we create that awareness uh, as well as Um, agreement, you know, within the interpreter profession, uh, that we abide by it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very proud of the work that we have all done, I think, in our industry of developing our role in a professional manner. Mm -hmm. And then now we have national certification. So um, now to segue back to your question, sorry, I did uh, um, sort of leave your question a bit. (laughs) Um, But to go back to it. So The importance of culture, traditions, and belief uh, in the role of the interpreter and understanding how to support that is is also very important in our role. Um, I think it's important to point out uh, cultural humility is Mm. really what we train uh, interpreters. Um, I think it's evolved where when I started years ago, it was more on cultural competence, Mm. cultural awareness. And understanding that we can't be really competent, not even in our own cultures. I mean, we all each have our unique cultures. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that was a a misnomer, you Mm -hmm. know, that that concept. Now it's more about cultural humility, which is an ongoing process of self-exploration 
and um, being curious about the other person's perspective and unique culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you have that open-minded perspective, there will be more um, engagement mm-hmm. and less um, cultural bumps, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, within yeah. within our world of interpreting. Right. Um, I uh, We talk, I'm not a, a, a trainer, a, an interpreter, um, uh, trainer, uh, but I we, in my classes, we do talk about the role of the interpreter and, and we um, do a little bit of practice on how to interpret, um, you know, within the medical, uh, within the um, school parent-teacher conferences and things like that. And so we talk, we talk a little bit about that. And one of the things uh, when we discuss interpreting in the medical field is that, um, you know, some the importance of bringing in or understanding uh, uh, patients, for example, alternative medicine practices, mm-hmm. um, and how maybe the interpreter also functions as this bridge, right, between the medical personnel and the patient to helping uh, the medical personnel understand that background of the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had any any experience with this? Um, so the the role of the interpreter has really helped to add value in uh, patient care, um, you know, experiences or situations. Um, in in adding value, you know, we can provide um, some cultural nuances, mm-hmm. um, cultural. Um, just background, at least not making assumptions at all, but at least um, sharing our experience with the providers. It could be clinical, non-clinical, before going into the room with a patient. Mm -hmm. So that way they have an idea of maybe some traditions Mm -hmm. or beliefs that the patient might might have or maybe more general Mm -hmm. in that community. So raising awareness is important. Mm -hmm. And then if we have um, some sort of input that we think might help, Mm -hmm. you know, in a certain situation, we will provide that to the healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. And then they can decide, you know, how to go from that point. Right, right. Um, Millie, what are some of the greatest health disparities affecting our Latina and Latino community at the local and state level? Yeah, I think probably what's most affecting is is access. Um, And I would say it's a state level, local level, and national Mm -hmm. level. Um, I think it's a pretty consistent pattern of of access. And and that happens for different reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one is insurance, having access uh, due to having insurance, the language barriers, mm-hmm. although I think have become uh, less of a barrier, uh, hospitals are providing interpreters. I think there are a lot of different resources, uh, but it's not yet, um, I think, consistent across mm-hmm. the board. So mm-hmm. that's one reason. Um, and then the other reason, I think there still has to be some um, mediation uh, and assimilation on both sides the healthcare industry, as well as the communities themselves, mm-hmm. of maybe understanding um, 
you know, the different practices here in the United States, for example, a lot of focus on preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe in some Spanish-speaking countries, that's not the priority focus yet. You go to the doctor when you're sick. When something hurts. When something hurts, (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly. So I think also changing the mindset is important. You know, the outreach, the education, um, you know, the patient navigation you know, and coaching with patients and understanding you can come to the doctor for other reasons Mm -hmm. that could Mm -hmm. then help you have a healthier lifestyle and, you know, have have better outcomes, Mm -hmm. you know, for you as well as for your family. So I think that's important. Um, as well as when it comes to healthcare industry, I think sometimes when it comes to research clinical trials, there are uh, less people who are um, accepted into trials. Mm. And I think it's a responsibility from both the patient, maybe not wanting to be part of a clinical trial, but also maybe providers um, not knowing how to, you know, bridge that. And um, I think having providers who are more diverse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. You know, I I identify, I think, more strongly and can be more committed to a provider who may speak my language Mm -hmm. or who may understand me as a person um, because of, you know, where I come from. Mm -hmm. And uh, that engagement, I think, could be stronger. Right. I remember having this conversation before with other with other people around, you know, here at the university in that lack of participation in clinical trials from the Latino community. And and yeah, having those conversations about um, how do we talk to the, the community about participating in the benefits, um, not only for them, but overall benefit, you know, to our community of finding cure or treatment that um, that can best suit them right Right. um and and so that was you know i I, i've been part of those discussions or i've heard those discussions before about the importance of having um the right information but also uh, um, people that are doing outreach that look like the community that they're trying to reach that correct Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no and i know there's been a lot of great work you know to um to really um encourage the the population as well as engage you know strongly and i know at the james there's several outreach you know coordinators who do speak the patient's languages more mm-hmm. and uh, really understand more of the culture so i think it's it's good to amplify that even right. more mm-hmm. you know and make that more of a consistent mm-hmm. um, way of practicing across the board not just at the James but in all hospitals and right. I think that will really elevate that engagement with the community. Mm-hmm. Millie what has been the most difficult experience you've had as an interpreter either doing the interpreting yourself or training interpreters? Yeah I'll just um, say uh, every encounter is so different one to the other. And I think that that in itself poses a challenge as well as it's it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, in the morning we could do a transplant and then right after that we can go to a follow-up eye exam. And then after that we could go to, um, you know, radiation mm-hmm. with a patient and interpret in their encounters. And, you know, the diversity of the 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 type of assignments that we receive, I think, is, again, exciting. Mm-hmm. But 
it, it can be overwhelming for the interpreter and having all of the uh, knowledge, the medicalese, so to speak, right. um, you know, and understanding all of that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand what are the strategies you need to use in order to do your job effectively, mm-hmm. yet not feel like you're impeding communication or right. delaying. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's always that um, uh, challenge mm-hmm. of knowing how to balance all of that. And then on top of all that, we're doing it in two languages and two cultures right. back and forth constantly. Right. Yeah. So it does get tiring at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that. The same. The other thing is interpreters, especially on-site interpreters, are going from one location to another. Mm-hmm. So the driving and the parking, I mean, it can g- get a little exhausting mm-hmm. physically even. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, um, one of the most challenging, and I say this to providers, hopefully you're listening, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when you are speaking with your patients, I know you want to engage mm-hmm. and you want to... Um, um, you know, be natural with them. But when you throw jokes mm. <laughs> into the mix, <laughs> to us, it is the hardest brain teasers. Idioms and jokes can be so difficult <laughs> to interpret. <laughs> Usually, you know, we're quick on our feet and are able to interpret, especially if you have a lot of experience, but that will stump most interpreters. <laughs> Constant jokes and idioms. Like, oh, okay. The doctor is just saying some jokes right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which obviously we can't interpret it that way. We've got to do our job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that. I can imagine. Millie, I just thought of something too. In in the in terms of difficulty, um, I imagine when interpreters are uh, interpreting. and the patient is a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you have the family members there, mm-hmm. one or more, or an elderly person, right? How is how do how do interpret interpreters manage that? You know, you're not just interpreting for the patient, but also for the for the family that might be there. Yeah. So, um, and that happens pretty frequently mm-hmm. um, in appointments where family members come with a patient and they're the support team, you know, for the patient. Um, so one thing, as we call it, managing the flow, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that we are transparent, everybody understands what is being said and and knows what is being said at all times in the room on the provider side as well as, you know, on the patient side. Mm-hmm. So if family members start to all talk at the same time, for example, which can happen, mm-hmm. interpreters have some intervening strategies mm-hmm. uh, to help sort of put a little bit of order so mm-hmm. that you can be effective and right. accurate in your in the rendering of, of the communication uh, back and forth. So sometimes we do have to be assertive mm-hmm. in order to help, you know, make sure that the communication is clear back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, what has been the most rewarding um, thing about being an interpreter? I, I mean, I can think of many things yeah. right now, you know, just being able to help facilitate a communi- communication. You know, yeah. it's, it's probably one of the most and seeing people really interact. <laughs> it is. So. It, it is. You know, it's that moment of, um, you know, just seeing like a patient's shoulders relax, you mm-hmm. know, when they see that the interpreter is there to help them, you know, in their communication mm-hmm. with providers. 
as well as providers. You know, um, they walk into a room and they see a patient that doesn't speak English. And uh, we have such great providers that really uh, try to be very sensitive, you know, and may say a few words in Spanish or may know, you know, a few words in other languages, which is great. But knowing that they have, you know, the qualified Mm -hmm. professional resource next to them to then relay all of the information back and forth uh, to the patient, I think is, is also, you know, rewarding for interpreters to see that they're relying on us to you know, continue with your relation with the with patients. Mm-hmm. Millie, I imagine, obviously, we've talked about training interpreters, but I'm sure there is some training that needs to be done with providers about how to work with an interpreter. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah, and I think that's been one of the reasons why, um, you know, I'll brag a little bit about the program mm-hmm, at Ohio sure. State. I think we've accomplished a lot in in the years, um, you know, in the last 15 years or so uh, of our program that uh, providers are so well aware of the resources of uh, working with an interpreter mm-hmm. and understand the dynamic, you know, of what that means. It means you are navigating two languages, two cultures. It's going to take a little bit longer. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think building that sensitivity and awareness to providers is extremely important, mm-hmm. um, as well as there are certain guidelines that. Uh, we need to also train interpreter or providers, mm-hmm. sorry, uh, to work more effectively with us. And we've been doing in services mm-hmm. for many years, mm-hmm. many times. As a matter of fact, we're one of the few hospitals uh, in the nation where we have 30 to 40 minutes every two weeks with new employees mm-hmm. about how to work with interpreters right. and what resources are available to patients. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of hospitals have a handout, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, new employees, and that's the end of that. We really uh, feel that it's important to uh, give providers um, the information and as well expand on it so that they know how to work more effectively with an interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I imagine, I mean, the success of an encounter uh where the interpreter and the provider and the patient is there, it's not going to be as great if you don't have that training that, that um, you know, not just the skills of the interpreter, but also the provider understanding how to work. Yeah, exactly. I think, and, and I would even add um, the patient as well. You know, when we are in an encounter with a patient, uh, we do what's called an introduction or a pre-session mm-hmm. uh, with a patient so that they know who we are. Mm-hmm what our role is, as well as give them a little bit of guidance as to how to work with us a little more effectively, you know, making sure that they're pausing frequently. So that way we can interpret accurately, letting them know that everything that is said will be interpreted. Mm -hmm. Sometimes families tend to have side conversations, or they might presume that the interpreter is not going to interpret if they say something that's a little negative about the provider maybe Mm -hmm. meaning maybe with with intent or Mm non-intent but we have to interpret everything Mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that the patient understands that Um, so we do give some guidance you know before starting the session so that Mm -hmm. they know what our role is right 
Millie, is there anything else you would like to say about your work, your new position, but also all this, um, you know, your, the work you've, you've done with interpreting services yeah. at, at the medical center? Well, really proud of that work, really proud of the team that's there. Um, we have had a lot of great support, you know, from um, across the organization to make sure that the appropriate resources are available for patients who need um, interpreters and, and require different resources. So mm-hmm. it really um, speaks to the uh, support to the diverse community and, and being compassionate and inclusive. Um, I guess the other part to add is I'm also co-chair of the Diversity Council with Mm -hmm. Dr. McDougall, and that's um, work that I'm also very proud of because it 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 it's almost like threading through interpreter services, destination medicine, diversity council. It almost like full circle to me, and Mm -hmm. I just love that that I have um, you know the opportunity. Uh, and the privilege, really, to be able to work in advancing all of these areas. Great. Millie, thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. A todos, gracias por escucharnos. Y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Mm-hmm.